Content Advisory. This talk contains references to child sexual abuse and sexual themes. Radio. A Q&A session with James Parker at the Immaculata Mission School 2017, held at the Launceston Church Grammar School in Tasmania. What would you say to someone who's experienced most of what you talked about in the left column? Remember we talked about the left column where everything was kind of... Um, was that the disastrous column or the great column? The great column. What would you say to someone who's experienced most of that? I'd say, hallelujah, you've received something. Come and help the rest of us who haven't. You know, the world wants to be an us and them. Oh, there's something wrong with those Aboriginal people. Oh, there's something wrong with etc. I'm like, no, no, no. If you think there's something wrong with somebody, go and get involved with their lives until their lives seem to be a little bit healthier and better. For goodness sake, that's the gospel. We're a common humanity. Jesus died for all of us. I want to, I want to forgive oh, so certain people in my life, but I feel like they don't think they've done anything wrong, so don't want forgiveness. How would you deal with this? Let me tell you what forgiveness is first and foremost about. Your freedom. Your freedom. When I went to forgive John, who's the teacher who abused me, it wasn't that God was saying, I really want John to be free, James. He's saying, James, I want you to be free. I don't want you to live under the yoke of all the things that that man did to you in the darkness of those rooms. I want you to be free in your body, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your whole being. So what happened is God was, but I couldn't forgive what I couldn't feel and be deeply in touch with. That's why the cross seems a scary place. It's the most unscary place in the world because Jesus has already done it for us. All that happens at the cross is we take what we're dragging around that's rubbish already and he cuts it off us. That's what he does. So forgiveness is about you being free. So whoever this has written this, there's certain people you want to forgive. Well, I want to ask you this question. Why do you want to forgive them? Hopefully so it's so you can be free. And they may come to a point when they see you in freedom that they begin to become convicted by the fact that you've changed. Why have you changed? They become aware then that they actually did something to you years ago or didn't do something to you that begins to prick their conscience. Then they may say, how did things change you? Say, I had to learn to forgive somebody for what they did to me. Oh, was that me? Well, yeah. And they become aware slowly but surely it's a revelation to them. They need to ask for forgiveness as well. So I'd say in forgiveness, it's about your freedom first and foremost. Once, you're, once, once you can forgive, then um, once you can give within yourself towards somebody, you can begin to restore the relationship with somebody else. If that's what the Lord is asking of you. And, you know, there's some places, I mean, the Lord always asks us to forgive, always. But he doesn't sometimes ask us to go back to people who are going to ridicule us or rubbish us again or be nasty to us. He wants us to be surrounded by safe people. And let me tell you one secret about forgiveness that we often don't talk about. We, have, we ask God for forgiveness and we ask other people for forgiveness. The one person we rarely have ever asked for forgiveness is me, ourselves. And we all mess up. You know, and sometimes we go back to confession time and time and time and time and time and time again with the same sin because we've never actually turned around and said, for example, James, I forgive you. 
I forgive you for being so rude to that person yesterday. I forgive you, you know, for putting your interest before others. And it's not just speaking words, it's receiving it. There's times I often, in my prayer, it might be just forgiving myself and receiving forgiveness into myself, deep into myself. So I'm back in harmony with a sense of who I am before Christ. That's really, really important as well, forgiving yourself. Um, I don't know why this has come to mind, but masturbation's just come to mind for some reason of that. And I say this because a, lot of, a number of people I know who are stuck in masturbation keep going back to and fro to, to, to the priest saying, forgive me, Father, I've sinned, my, you know, masturbation, blah, blah, blah. If you're struggling with masturbation, and many people are today, partly because they're told this is good and it's okay and it's fine, but actually it's not good and fine. It is a bit like saying, I think, therefore I am. I'm consumed with myself and I'm consumed with trying to find relief in myself. If you're stuck in masturbation, most people who are stuck in it are stuck with anxiety. You take a newborn child, often in an incubator, I don't know if this is true of me, but I know this is true of other babies. Uh, if they're left and abandoned, they will rub their genitals. Why? Because their genital area is the most erogenous and feeling area of their bodies, and they're rubbing it to say, am I still alive or not? Now, would you turn around and say that baby needs to repent of masturbation? No, you wouldn't. So for some of us, we experience a deep anxiety, and therefore we find people find themselves in a pattern of regular masturbation. What they need to be doing in the confessional is not, it's not that they don't admit to the masturbation. I think it's important you tell somebody what you're doing. I do. It's very important. But actually, the seed that's growing the tree where the fruit is masturbation is anxiety. And only when we can come before the cross and say, it's, your, it's my anxiety I'm not giving to you. That's why I keep masturbating. It's the image I have of myself that there's something wrong with me. That's why I keep looking to all these other bodies on pornography, thinking, well, they're better than me, whatever it might be. When we get back to the seed and we allow the Lord to destroy this, that evil seed, that, well, say, Satan can't create anything, how Satan has poisoned the original seed, then things can begin to change. I'm just curious as to what the church teaches about tattoos. I don't know the church teaches anything about tattoos at the moment. Um, I do know this, that I've met many people who find themselves pretty covered in tattoos, and there's no judgment on people with tattoos. Sometimes they can be a symbolism of something. Sometimes they can be to do with culture. But I've met a number of people who are covered in tattoos who um, often do it as a way to tell their life story because they feel nobody's listening. Very quick story for you. I was in the gym one day, and I noticed one lad who's always there at the same time I go to the gym. And he got this new tattoo around the side of, of, his, of his waist here, you know. And, um, and I noticed this thing, and, and one day I said to him, so don't make you've had, a, you've had a new tat. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, oh, what's it about? He said, oh, it's something my, uh, my nana wrote. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, can I have a read of it? I said, would you read it to me? And he goes, he said, yeah, okay. And he began to read it. And he read down to the end. I said, mate, that's profound. I said, she must have been quite a woman, your nana. I said, she died. He said, yeah, she died some months ago, so that's why I had it done. I said, tell me about her. And he looked me in the eyes, and this man began to weep. Mid-twenties, I mean, he got this, you know, there was about 1% fat on this guy, all the tats, etc. But deep down, what his tat was saying is, I'd love to tell somebody about how my nana was the one that loved me. You know, our relationship changed totally that day from me asking about his tattoo. So I'm not condemning tattoos, etc. But a number of people also have tattoos, I've noticed, because they just want to feel. And the pain of being tattooed makes their body feel alive because they've got no idea how to feel alive inside. So what does the church say? Nothing. What do I say? I've just shared a bit with you. What do you say? Come and tell me. 
Please tell us about your guitar performance of the Pope. Well, I managed not to do any bum notes, that's for sure. Look, I played, um, I mean, the first song we played, those, I mean, we're talking quite a few years ago here. I played Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna. It was Hosanna nilatissimo. And the Pope was lovely, put his hands out, and there he was, you know, sway, sway, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and um, I played, look, the, the song I played after, uh, after communion was something called Stay With Me, Lord. And it was a song I'd written to the words of Padre Pio. I knew that Carol Voitia, Pope John Paul, Saint John Paul II, had a great devotion to, to, to um, uh, St. Padre Pio. And it's a beautiful song about, you know, through whatever we go through, stay with me, Lord, etc. That was the second song. And the third song was, because um, was a, a, it was the Feast of the Assumption, April, August the 15th. It was um, uh, something about Mary walking along with, going with us along the way. And at the end, he met everybody that was there in the chapel, etc. And, and as everybody was leaving, Jivic, who was his private secretary, tapped him on the shoulder and said, would you come with me? So I turn, turn around and I follow him back. And I go into the Pope's office with him. So there's me, Jivic, and John Paul II. And John Paul goes into his desk and he gets out this beautiful sort of medal thing. And he comes up to me and then he looks me in the eyes. As John Paul, he's a father. And he embraces me. I'm thinking, how do you know that I'm a hugophile? You know, anyway, he hugs me. And then he gives me this medley, he said, thank you for your music, in, the, well, in his Polish accent, etc. It was a profound moment for me, profound moment. We're talking within about a year and a half of my converting to Catholicism, having been raised to go, woo, be careful of those Catholics. Anyway, um, so that was, um, that was a bit about being at the Pope. Um, a man, after having a child with a woman, left her and declared he was gay. Soon after becoming trans, and being gay for women. What do you think of this? I think he's profoundly confused, to say the least. Um, I'd say this as well, and, and I don't want to scare you in this, but you know, the, the sexual realm is where the spiritual hangs out, big time. That's why most of the uh, admonitions um, uh, or the kind of words of warning, particularly from St. Paul in the New Testament, are around things to do with sexual activity. And people can find themselves in incredible confusion. So this man might think, I want to be straight, I want to prove I'm straight and all the rest of it. He goes and has a child with a woman. And then he leaves her declaring he's gay because what happens is he can't sustain the responsibilities that he needs to sustain as a man, and probably particularly from an emotional perspective. Therefore, because he suddenly feels weak in his manhood, because he's not just now a man, but also he's a father, he doesn't know how to be a dad, so then he runs off to men to try and gain from himself a sense of connecting with other men. But then he deep down, he thinks, hang on a minute, but I'm not like these men. Therefore, maybe if I really like men, maybe I'm really a woman. Therefore he goes and um, has all the bits chopped off and the rest of it. Um, and then he, he's gay for women, which means that here he is now sort of as a female, but really deep down his calling is to love women. But he's now in a a body that looks like a woman's body, even though he's got XY chromosomes. Therefore, he suddenly finds himself being gay towards women. He still wants to be intimate with women. But he hasn't got to be intimate with women from the perspective of a male because he's now in a woman's body. So his responsibilities of a male are totally gone, but he can have what he really wanted in the first place. Without me knowing more intimate details of that man's life, it might not be quite that. But generally, that's what I'd say is going on in that situation. When I get married, do I have to settle down straight away and have kids, or can I wait? I love that question. That's not my decision to make, and that's not your decision to make. <laughs> it's not. 
But I tell you why you live in a time of history that is just joyful around getting pregnant. Because natural fertility has never been able to teach us more today than it does. Ladies, you can know exactly when you're fertile and not fertile. And the Lord asks all of us to act responsibility with our fertility. So in other words, if you get married and your husband is working on a certain project, whatever it might be, in fact, why should I presume this is from a woman? I shouldn't do that for a start. Seriously. But you get married to this man or you get married to this lovely lady and there's a project going on that's a work of God and you know that God wants that work completed. It may well be that you have a sense that at this moment you're needing to grow more deeply in your own relationship with him. But I'll say this to you. If at any point you start thinking, but I am close to life, you've got a problem. God doesn't mind about, I mean, it causes us to be responsible in parenting. But I'd say this, friends of mine recently, she just had a seventh child at 48. And everybody said, she's mad. No, she's not. She's actually, she is walking on clouds in somewhere that she's like, this is the best pregnancy I've ever had. And God is with me. It's brought a piece to that house like you can't imagine. And that baby boy is gorgeous. Who would have guessed that pregnancy at 48 would have done that for her? In other words, we have no idea what joy God's going to bring through every pregnancy. But I'd say this, that's not, it's not for me to answer that. You and your spouse prayerfully need to go before the Lord. But I'd say this, be very, very careful when you start saying, do I have to have kids or not have kids or when should I have them? Once you're married, I'm saying, if you're getting married, be open to life, full stop. Because if you start closing any door, Satan will start pushing it very, very quickly and he'll want that door closed to you. How long did you know your now wife for before sharing your past with her? How long should you wait before sharing your past? Uh, look, the, God, again, moves in mysterious ways. Um, I remember seeing um, her uh, in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. I wasn't looking for a wife. I was looking for Jesus. Okay, guys? Okay, ladies? Go looking for Jesus. Get mouth to mouth with him, first of all, okay? Kiss me quick, Lord. You know, that's it. Kiss me quick. Um... Yeah, within two weeks, I said, basically, um, I called her and said, look, I'd like to ask you out. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, and I'd like a date in the next 24 hours. And this is where we're going. It's okay. And um, look, I tell you, she said to me, she said, um, Aussie guys aren't like that. <laughs> Bit of warning to you there, lads, anyway. But, but look, but we, we went on our third date. And we went for a walk in Regent's Park. Some of you know the beautiful big parks in London. We walk into the park. And we're hand in hand and we're chatting away. And she said to me, what do you think about homosexuality? <laughs> now, at that stage, my story was quite well known across London. It's been on the BBC and stuff, although it wasn't on the BBC at that time. So I was um, walking along and I'm, and I'm saying all these things I think about homosexuality. I said, look, you know, deep down, it's uh, uh, somebody's desiring something that's good, but they're looking at it in the wrong way. It's been eroticized and blah, blah, blah. And so I was breaking open all this stuff I talk about. She goes, wow, you've really thought this through, haven't you? I've never met anybody who's thought this through before like you. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm sort of thinking, hmm, I'm sure somebody must have told us something. And I thought, you know, I've got to tell. I said, look, I said, I know a lot about this, and this is what I need to tell you. I said, well, I said, you know, I used to, um, I used to self-identify as gay. Oh, did you, she said. <laughs> I said, yeah. And uh, I said, it's probably appropriate now that I tell you about this. And I, I really honestly understand if you want to walk away at the end of this conversation and not see me again. And so I shared with her at that stage, and, um, and I was just open and honest about where I'd been and what had happened, you know? 
I was vulnerable and I was weak before her. And you know what, guys? Really deep down, that's what every woman wants. He, he wants you to be, he, they, the, our ladies want us to be strong in our weakness and vulnerability because that's where they want to see true strength. I'm still learning. Let me tell you, God, am I learning? But, but the long and short of it is this, is when do you tell someone about your past? You tell them when the time is right. All I'd say to you is this, is if you know there's still real rubbish that you've got to deal with in your life, please get on and deal with it at the cross before you start trying to enter into a relationship that could go somewhere. It's much easier dealing with your rubbish before marriage and even before being in an intense relationship than it is once you're in the, in the relationship or marriage. It just really is. So if you think the stuff that you still haven't dealt with or is still hounding you a little bit, then go and have a chat with the Lord. That's why I keep talking about dialoguing before the cross and before the Blessed Sacrament with Mary there beside you. Because what happens is they will point you the way as to what you're to say to who and when. And as I said as well, be very careful with who you share your stuff with. You know, for many men, they try and, you know, they try and help, they want their girlfriends or their wives to try and help them with some of their sexual problems, their other stuff. That's not a woman's role. She needs to be sufficiently informed by where your struggle is. In other she needs to know where you're coming from, particularly if you're committed to in marriage. But your role isn't to expect her to point you towards the cross. I mean, she can, but she needs a bunch of guys, gentlemen, to help you on that journey. That's why you've got to have camaraderie with you before you marry. And the same is true for you ladies as well. You know, there is no man that will deeply satisfy you as Jesus can. Your husband can be brotherly and fatherly to you, but he can't be your brother and he can't be your father if he's going to be your husband. And deep down, your number one lover is the kiss me quick fella. <laughs> Serious. Um, end of the box there. Let me just say a quick prayer, Lord. I just ask again that you're, I know you're with us. I just ask you to continue to be with us, be in the sharing groups, be in the questions, the comments that come up there. And above us, send us the coolness of your presence this afternoon. Seriously, Lord. Or just make the temperature just die down here at the grammar school. If that's the only place you want to do it, I don't mind. But just, we'd like to be a bit cooler that we can really be present to you and to one another. Mother Mary, we thank you that you're, of your example of what it is to sit and to listen with two ears before speaking with one mouth. We'd deeply listen to each other and that we'd hear your word, hear God's word for us through your intercession. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. How, what, how was your transition or what was your transition like? What was, it a conscious, was it a conscious decision to be more manly or was it something more natural? Um... Well, I take it as a compliment that you think I'm manly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Phew. No, um, but I'm certainly a lot more manly than I was, that's for sure. Um, it was both, actually. What happens is this. Remember before we prayed for our will that we can step, in, we could, we can step into the truth of who we are. So what happened is I had to make a choice to do that. And there's times I'd be laughing away and I'd be going, oh, you know, my, and of course I had this, I had this limp wrist thing, so I was always doing it, you see. So sometimes my, I gave my friends permission to say to me, you can say to me, uh, the wrist. <laughs> and they go, uh, Jim, the, they used to call me Jim, which is a bit more masculine than James anyway, but anyway, Jim, the wrist. I go, what? Oh, oh, <laughs> you see? Now... What happens though is this is that, so I gave them permission to challenge me about different things. But I'd say this, you know, how did you learn to read? Did you do it on your own? Others taught you. 
Where did we learn what it is to be men compared to be women? We learn from others around us. So in other words, it is a conscious decision we step into, but it's something we also learn from others. So it was both and, if that's helpful. How would you start a conversation with your partner who isn't Catholic about theology of the body? Uh, I don't know that I'd necessarily start a conversation with them at all, really. I'd read something, get excited about it, and dance around the house until they said, what are you excited about? Say, have a look at this. <laughs> and if it's true, they'll go, ooh. They'll either run a mile because they know it's true, or they'll go, I want more of that, and they'll run into it. So you'll have had your answer, but it's very, very unlikely if they read something that's true, they'll just stay static. And if they are, they're using a hell of a lot of energy to not give any response at all. <laughs> That's often so much the way that we have to deal with things. You know, people say, well, how do I start this conversation? How do I, start? I said, look, I said, you know, we don't force anybody to take on what we believe. You don't have to do that with he who is love. If we are created by the Father for love, all we have to do is fall in love with the Father, move more towards him. Others will go, you got something I ain't got. That's why, look, if you're working the checkout and I'm there in the supermarket, watch it. Because I look you in the eyes, I've got your name already, and I'm talking to you about your life. They're going, what is it about you? I'm like, it's Jesus. Have a nice day. <laughs> you laugh. I've done that a few times, anyway. But seriously, it's about, it's about the fact that we just, just get out there and love. People flock to you. The more you fall in love with he who is love, the more you become love. Listen, a lovely another phrase that somebody once said to me, and I use it often, where there is no love, so love, and there you will reap love. Pretty sure one of the saints said that. And if you've got to start with your own heart, let God's love touch your heart first of all. I love this question. I kind of do and I don't, if you know what I mean, but you'll get it. I want to tell my parents about my porn problem, as in my addiction, okay? To ask them for help with fighting it. I'm ashamed of my problem. Whoever wrote this, I love you. And I'm worried that my parents will use it against me, should I tell my parents. I dare say your answer is partly in the question you've written. If you deeply sense that your parents might turn around and use it against you, then they're likely to shame you in an area where you feel incredibly vulnerable and that you want to be free of. I invite all of you never to put yourself into a place where you're going to be further shamed. That's not healthy. But that question isn't for James to answer. That's for God to answer in your heart. Do you know why? Because you might believe that your parents would have a go at you, as deep down God is saying they're the very people I want you to tell, because I want to prove to you actually that they aren't against you at all. They've always been on your side. You've just learned... Somewhere down the line, you made an inner vow that affected your beliefs, that affected your behavior towards your mum and dad. You believe they will reject you, and actually they won't. But I go back again to the first part of the answer I gave. We need to be very, very sensitive about where we share and who we share with. If we haven't got somebody, we need to ask for somebody to, we need to, you know, ask them. We need to ask the Lord to show us who to share with and to wait carefully on that, and he will show us. Look, I've been in times in my life and I've just felt absolutely isolated. I said, Lord, I can't cope with this much longer. You've got to send me some friends. I mean, like, you've got till Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I know when my end is up, if you like. You know, the Duracell batteries really run out. And, you know, the Lord has always been faithful. He does take us to the edge sometimes, and dare I say, even often. 
But he also asks us to be really honest with him about how much more we can take. And if you need a friend in whatever your struggle is, pray to God that he'll send you a friend or reveal to you who that friend already is. How do you get healed if you suffered from all the stuff on the right-hand columns of your slides? There was so much stuff on the right-hand columns of my slides. <laughs> do you know how you're healed? You get, you, you get healed. You, you, you come, I mean, even the word healing, I think, sometimes is problematic. This kind of, I'm ill and now I'm healed. This is about a journey of love with your creator. You, you know, the more mouth-to-mouth you get, the more the pure oxygen you're going to have inside your lungs and the better you're going to feel. You're not going to be like Michael Jackson who had to buy a chamber, God rest his soul, to be filled with oxygen. Through the Eucharist in particular, through our prayer, through God's word, we have access to his presence. It's in his presence that all those stuff on the right side is dealt with. And let, the reason why we're called to surrender to the Lord is this. And those of you in the medical profession might understand this. You know, imagine you've been through a car crash, a horrendous car crash, and what's happened is literally the bone in your leg has snapped and it's sticking out your skin. And all you think is, I'm in agony. You're aware of this bone sticking out. You're going, ah, ah deal with my bone, deal with my bone. Doctors say, no. We're going to deal with the internal hemorrhage first. You may not see it, but if we don't deal with that, who cares about your leg? You'll be dead anyway. I give you that example because this is where we've got to trust that God deals with the first thing that needs to be dealt with. Often the thing that's manifesting is problematic, that's painful, is often some, it may be the fruit on the tree, it could be the trunk of the tree, it could be a twig, it could actually be the actual root itself that's pulling at us. But only God knows what he wants to deal with first. And sometimes God can't rip the roots out of the tree because the tree's become so big and bulbous at the top, he needs to trim a few branches off first of all. I'm using analogies to try and talk about an invisible journey, but I hope you get what I'm talking about. Not I mean, it's my London accent, not I mean. Anyway, there we are. <laughs> now for my Queen's accent. Hello, lovely people. Um, okay, this is my real accent. I know I was a queen before, I'm not anymore, okay? Get, give me a like. Uh, my same-sex attracted practicing Catholic friend is afraid of telling his parents of his affliction because his mother is quite sensitive and she's unable to handle stuff like this. Is it imperative to have your parents' support for healing or whatever you want to call it? Um, Incidentally, it's not about being healed of being gay. We all get healed of just, we get healed of where we're broken. (laughs) Not about being lesbian, gay, straight or anything else like that. It's about laying our lives before the Lord. I can't make that clear enough to you. All I can say is this, it's a similar answer to my first answer is, I don't know the full circumstances of that person's life. I do know this, though, that in the lives of many of the same-sex practicing Catholic males I know, they have found themselves deeply um, tied or tied up in their mother's apron strings because they haven't felt they've been able to be close to dad. They've run back to mum, and they've got tied up in mum, etc. So in some ways, what happens is there needs to be a sense of freedom from that particular relationship And that freedom looks very different for every single case. All I can say again is it's important to pray and it's important that we make a selection of what safe people look like in our lives. You know, at this particular moment in time, your same-sex attracted friend may not, that his mother may not be one of the best people. Both of his parents may not be the best people at this stage. 
But that doesn't mean to say that person should abandon. What you almost need to encourage them to do is to keep praying for their parents. And you can you join him, or if it's or her, in praying for their parents. That everybody will be able to dive into this ocean of love and mercy. Hopefully this is scratching you a little bit where you itch. How do you tell a partner who you've already been having sex with that you would like to stop and won't have further sex until marriage? Um... You say, I'm stopping this. <laughs> what else do you say? <laughs> we laugh, but you know what? Why did we pray for your wills earlier? Because you have the right to say no to walking towards that cross. And you have the right to say yes. And the Gospels are quite clear that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And yes, you're still young and discovering that and I'm older and I'm still discovering that. Although I'm a little bit more, say, ballsy today with my yeses and my noes. However, that piece in Deuteronomy we said earlier on, choose life, choose death. You have a choice. Whoever wrote that, that, that comment, if you've made the decision, it's stop in your heart. Then ask God to give you the strength to remain faithful and true to that decision. And all I can say to you is this. If it's a lady who wrote that, I expect it is. If he doesn't hear your no, however quietly you whisper it, whatever you say, if he doesn't hear it, step aside. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to love you. And he doesn't really love you. You might think, but I need him and I'm connected to him. And all that soul tie thing we're going to talk about in a minute. But deep, deep down, if he's not listening to you, what makes you think that by putting a ring on your finger is going to make him start listening to you? I don't know that he is until he's had a good dose of the Holy Spirit. He may need to see you step aside and to see you fall in love with the true lover. Kiss me quick, Lord. It's coming my phrase, I tell you. Until, until he learns to come to that place as well and realise actually this woman, is, this woman is something radiant of incredible dignity. That was a Q&A session with James Parker. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.